listening to him, following him, going after what he has for us, that, that we don't ask Jesus to follow us, but we follow him and what he has for our life. And, and we just do it all the way. So we go all in. That's what we talked about charging, playing offense, not playing defense, but saying, God, what do you want me to do? And that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm going to go after. Even when I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep fighting and that we were one decision away from a totally different life. And so we were called to charge and go play offense. Tonight we move into our, our third thought on the All In series. And I thought I liked to hike. I've told stories of hiking before uh, in my messages, but uh, I've been put to shame by Mark Batterson because he loves to hike with a capital H, capital I, capital K, capital E, because he, a couple years ago, hiked the Grand Canyon. He went from rim to rim. He goes down one trail down the side. It's about 23.2 miles. Tells a story in his book. He goes down, and, and you get to the bottom. And you, use, you do this in 110-degree heat, by the way. And, and it's a, it's a one-mile difference in elevation. And it, it's so strenuous that even the best hikers, many of them have to be airlifted out of the Grand Canyon. He lost, uh, he, he ran out of water, I should say, um, by, with three miles left to go that first day before they camped out at the bottom. And, and he was so wiped out when they got there, they had just enough to drink and eat. He went to bed, back up at 4.30 a.m. for the 10-hour trek up what they call the Bright Angel Trail, and they zigzagged their way back up to the top. And he lost 13 pounds in two days. Took a toll on his body. And as he was walking up, he noticed something as he got closer to the rim and he saw all these people standing on the rim looking out. And he noticed they looked very different from him. His clothes were covered in sweat, caked in the, the clay of the canyon. And they looked like they just left their air-conditioned hotel rooms and were there. And some of them were even licking ice cream cones. And, and for a moment, he felt sorry for himself. And then when he realized what was happening, he actually felt sorry for them. Because they were missing the beauty of the canyon. They could see the canyon, but Mark had experienced the canyon. And he called those guys, and he's labeled them rim huggers. And he said, you cannot truly see what you have not personally experienced. Now some of those people on the rim looking out may know more about the canyon than Mark does because maybe they've read it in a brochure or something like that, but, but he's experienced it. He knows it far better than they ever will. They might have facts, but he has an experience. I want to make sure that we're not rim huggers. Knowing the facts about God and, and, and reading the brochure, if you will, but never really experience him, experiencing him. Having that head knowledge, but not the heart knowledge. Having the information, but not the transformation. You don't want to just talk the talk, you want to walk the walk. And there's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. 
A.W. Tozer said, Eternity won't be long enough to discover all that God is or praise him for all that he's done. You will not experience God when you stand at a distance. We're called to hike into the depths of God. It's not just about coming to church, although I appreciate you making the effort on a snowy Saturday night to come, but, but man, we're not here just to sightsee at church. There's a big difference between coming and being the church. A lot of times we, we come to church, and, and I teach here at the college and, and in different places around the country, and, and there's two types of students. They, there's ones that take a class for audit, and there's others that take the class for credit. The auditors just have to show up. They don't have to take notes, read books. They don't have to take any tests. They don't have to take any notes. They just, they just come. They don't even have to come if they don't want to come. They're just auditors. But the credit people, they have to do all of it because the grade is writing on taking that class in its entirety. And, and I want to guarantee you that no matter how much that audit person pays attention, the person, person that's taking that class for credit is experiencing it in a much deeper way. See, sometimes when we, when we sit in church and do nothing, what can happen is we can let other people worship for us or study for us or even pray for us. And God is saying, I want you to be involved. I don't want you just to be a, a rim hugger. I want you to be a hiker. So what I loved about going on the mission trip this last fall to Russia. We took 12 people with us. And you don't get to be a, a rim hugger on a mission trip. You get out there, you get dirty, you get, you get in the middle of what God is doing. You can't be involved in our prison ministry and be a rim hugger because you're going to be right in the middle of something very powerful that God wants you to do. You can't be a rim hugger if you're, if you're volunteering with our children for Awana because you're going to be right in the middle of working hard in the kingdom of God. See, we've got to get involved with what God wants us to do. It says in James chapter 1, verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're, like a, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at a, your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you, don't, if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you have your Bibles, I want you to highlight that part. God will bless you for doing it. God will bless you for obeying and following his word. See, we don't sometimes just need to know more in a sermon. We need to do more with what we know. Because he's not going to say when we see him in heaven, well thought out, well said, well studied. No, it's well done, good and faithful servant. See, that's what spiritual development is. It's putting the theory into practice because before it's just a theory. We've got to prove that theory by putting it into practice, by making God's word a reality in our life. In the Hebrew language, there is no distinction between knowing and doing. It's the same in the Hebrew language, knowing and doing. You can't Know without doing, and you can't do without knowing. And so in the Hebrew sense of the word, if you don't do, then you really don't know. If you don't do, you really don't know. So it's time to take a hike. 
It's time to set our face on what God wants us to do. It's time to go in, all in, 100% in to what God has for us. It says in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's not just worshiping God with our words. It's our blood. It's our sweat. It's our tears. It's going after God. So we are the church. I mean, we come to church, and this is a beautiful building, but we, we leave this place as the church because the church is God's people. Listen to me. When we leave after a weekend, when you have Saturday and Sunday, and those that are watching online right now, we go out. There, there's hundreds of churches that are spread out. And we go out, and we take what we've learned, and we share that. And our job becomes our mission field. Our work becomes our sermon. Our coworkers become our congregation as we take the church out. I love a line from um, the book. Mark Batterson says this, you can't be the hands and feet of Jesus if you're sitting on the back of your lap. You can't be the hands and feet of Jesus if you're sitting on the back of your lap. You've got to do what God has called you to do. Our Bible reading today and the story that we're going to look at tonight comes from 1 Samuel chapter 14. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles there. We're going to stay in this chapter going through different verses and tell the story of Jonathan and Saul. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 2, Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migrant. I want to stop right there and I want you to look at that verse. If that verse was a picture, that would be the snapshot that would define Saul's life and character. Here is Saul, the leader of God's people, when he should be picking a fight with the Philistines, is instead sitting there picking fruit. And Saul has a long history of letting other people fight his battles for him. And so here's Saul in this verse right there, the ultimate rim hugger, hanging out at a fruit tree, picking fruit. Now Jonathan in this chapter is entirely different. He's not a rim hugger, he's a cliff climber. Saul plays it safe, and Jonathan says, let's go. See, it's the difference between fear and faith. If you live by fear, you will always be playing defense. Jonathan lived by faith, and he was ready to go. He was ready to go against the Philistines, who were the constant thorn in the, in the, in the side of, the, of the, you know, the God's people. And, and yet Saul would not deliver God's people from the Philistines. The battle lines have been drawn, and so here's what Jonathan does in verse 1. He says, one day... Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. He is ready to go. He is motivated to go and fight the fight. And when you begin to step out in faith like Jonathan did, that moves the hand and the heart of God. When you take that step of faith, now the problem is a lot of us don't want to take that step of faith because we want to know what the second step is. But God doesn't always reveal the second step until you take the first step. 
I think in Joshua chapter 3, when, when the, the, they come up to the promised land, and, and there's the promised land on the other side of the Jordan, and the, the river is raging. And so what does Joshua tell the priests to do? Step into the water. Yeah, but the river is flowing. No, step in. Take that first step. Take that step of faith. And that's what Jonathan does here. He takes that step of faith. I don't know what translation you have. I read out of the NLT, and, and the title of this chapter, the, the heading that they give it, is Jonathan's Daring Plan. I don't know what yours says, but my Bible says Jonathan's Daring Plan. That's actually a misprint. It, it should read Jonathan's Dumb Plan. Stupid plan. Ignorant plan. It is the absolute worst idea you've ever heard of, anybody doing in military history. And, and so Jonathan decides to expose himself completely to the enemy in broad daylight. He's at the bottom of the cliff. They're at the top of the cliff looking down at Jonathan. And so he says here in verse 10, he's talking to his armor bearer, but if they say, come up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. That's not a good sign. Okay, they've got to scale a cliff to get up to them. They have the high ground. And, and so a better sign, in my opinion, would have been if they come down to meet us, that's when we'll know the Lord gave them to us because we'll just pick them off as they come down. Or, or maybe if they just started falling off the cliff, that would be the sign that the Lord has delivered us. But no, he picks the most difficult one, the most dangerous one, the most daring one. If they tell us to come up, let's go. And they didn't let things happen. They made things happen. And I love it because Jesus didn't die to make us safe. He died to make us dangerous. You know, the will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. So we preached last week, we are the church. We are called to storm the gates of hell. So what does Jonathan and his armor bearer do? They begin to climb the cliff toward the enemy. And when they get up there, they're outnumbered 10 to 1. It says in 1 Samuel 14, 13, so they climbed up using both hands and feet. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, they, this is not like a hill they're walking up. They are scaling a cliff to get up to the fight. They didn't look for the path of least resistance they were committed to the path that would bring God glory. They weren't looking for an easy way out. They were all in. And when you go all in on these impossible situations, then you know it's God getting all the glory because you know Jonathan and his armor bearer couldn't do all this and kill 20 guys and, and, and win the victory for Israel on their own. It had to be God. He gets all the glory. There's a line in a movie called We Bought a Zoo. It stars Matt Damon. And there's a line in there that really helps describe what we're talking about. And that's this line. Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. When I think about that, I just start in my Bible and I start thinking about people. That 20 seconds of insane courage for Peter to stand up in the boat 
and to leave the boat to stand on water. 20 seconds of insane courage. I think of David facing Goliath. And as he begins to charge Goliath, 20 seconds of insane courage. Or Zacchaeus, as everybody was mocking him, trying to keep him down, climbing that tree to see Jesus. 20 seconds of insane courage. You are one decision away from a totally different life. When you take that risk with 20 seconds of holy courage, it will change your life forever. And you have to not wonder what other people are going to think. They might think you're crazy. What's the the other possibility? If If you don't do it, they think you're normal. And when you think about what happened here, when, when Peter had that 20 seconds of insane courage, he became the leader of the disciples. He had the faith, and, and Jesus used that in his life. And, and I think of David. That was the defining victory of David's life, killing Goliath. Or Zacchaeus, he gets to have lunch with Jesus when no one else does. See, that 20 seconds of insane courage is the most important decision that you will ever make. See, Jonathan had that holy courage, that 20 seconds of holy courage. And I always wonder, what what gave Jonathan the strength to make the decision to go fight when his dad's hanging out, picking fruit? What was it in his life that gave him the courage? And it's simply faith. There's one statement here that defines Jonathan's life and his character. And that's 1 Samuel 14.6. It says, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. That's the heart of Jonathan. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Too often we put the other word in there, not will, but won't. Perhaps the Lord won't act on my behalf. See, Jonathan's nothing like his dad. He's got different DNA. He's got faith. He's playing to win. He'd rather fail and fall flat on his face than to sit on his backside. He wanted to go all in. He'd rather make a mistake than miss the opportunity. And the result of Jonathan's faith, this daring plan that it talks about at the beginning of the chapter, the end of the chapter ends this way. This is the result of Jonathan's faith. 1 Samuel 14, 23. So the Lord rescued Israel that day. I love that. So the Lord rescued Israel that day. He did it because someone had holy courage. See, it took one daring decision. You are one decision away from a totally different life when you have the courage to do what God asks you to do. One month ago yesterday, I I went in for sinus surgery and... uh, and, um, I feel good, and, and thanks for the prayers and the support. And um, when I went in, it, I've never had surgery before in my life, and so the, the anesthesiologist called me the night before and says, hey, are you uh, allergic? Do you have any reactions to anesthesia? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I've never had surgery. He goes, well, we'll find out tomorrow. <laughs> Click. No, I'm just and I'm like, oh, okay. And, and here's the thing. Never go online after that. To read because I, I went online. I'm like, oh well, maybe I don't know. And, 
And so, crazy story, that day, happens to be on the internet, that day, somebody went in to get their tonsils removed and died because uh, of the reaction to the, an the anesthesia. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know. Um, you know, that, that could be me tomorrow. That's what I started thinking. I started thinking that way. And, um, yeah, just dumb thoughts. But, but you know how you think that way and stuff. I mean, don't, don't look at me that way. You have those thoughts sometimes. But, uh, um, you know, it's funny because I, then I'm sitting at, uh, at, the, at dinner that night before the surgery, and, and I thought, you know, this might be my last dinner with my family. And so I want to talk to the boys and just, you know, I'm sure everything will be okay, but just in case, you know, listen to your mom, help her out. You guys will be the men of the house and give them the whole talk of how I want to see you in heaven, you know, just follow God with your life, just on and on and on. And, and this eyes were rolling all around the table like, Dad, it's going to be fine. But, but, uh, and so one of my kids pop up in, in the midst of it, and I'm thinking this is a tender moment. You say, we love you, Dad, or whatever. And one of my boys say, Dad... Can I have the car if you die? And uh, I said, uh, sure. Yeah, that's fine. It's an old falling apart 99 Cadillac. It's older than you. Yeah, you can have it. That's fine. The, one, the, uh, the next one goes, oh, yeah, well, Dad, I want your watch. Can I have your watch? And I'm like, okay. The last one pipes up. Yeah, I want your iPad, Dad. Can I have the iPad? And, um, and so it's de deteriorating because I'm trying to be serious and, and they're having fun at my expense. And then Leslie goes, do you know what I want? I'm like, great, you too? And she goes, you know what I want? I want your Bible. And, and I, I, I said, which one? And she goes, the one that you always write in. Because she said, that's who you are. And um, that, was a, that was a tender moment in the midst of the comedy that was happening. Because um, I buy a new Bible every five or ten years um, after I highlight it and fill it up. And I just keep it in, in, in my briefcase. And I highlight, I underline, I write. I, I just, it's just, and, and I realized in that moment that if, if I did go, I don't really have that much in life. I got a car that's breaking down. I got a, a, an old watch and an iPad that's not even the newest one. But I got this. This is all I got. And this is who I should be. And, and that this should define everything I do. And that when I read about guys like Saul and guys like Jonathan, that I choose to live like Jonathan. I choose to do the daring, crazy, holy thing that God's asking me to do. And I don't care about much else. And I think we need to have those defining moments in our life where we say, God, we are all in. I am all in. And when you make that decision, that decision will change everything in your life. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight? I want to pray with you, and we're going to worship the Lord together. And um, just something we're doing in these January weekends. We're just spending some extra time worshiping at the end of each service. But I just want to pray for you, and then I want the Lord to speak to you, and then we're going to sing our dedication back to the Lord. And 
I want to just pray that you have the faith like Jonathan. That, that your life is going to be lived according to God's word. What he says. What he promises. And as I pray for you, I want you to receive this prayer. And then it's, then it's between you and God. Because I can't make you go all in. But I, I don't want you to be rim huggers. I want you to be the hikers. I want you to be the cliff climbers. I, I want you to be the ones that are all out, all in for God. Lord, I pray that we would quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. God, I pray that we would go after your goals, pursue your passions. Lord, that we would dream a dream that is destined to fail without your intervention. God, I pray that we would be a people that seek you. Lord, that we would be a part of the solution in this world. Lord, that we would stop repeating the past. And Lord, that we would start creating a new future. Lord, that we would stop playing it safe. Start taking risks. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live as every day was both the first and last day of our life. Lord, I pray that we would burn those sinful bridges and blaze a new trail. God, that we would worry less about what other people think about us, more about what you think. God, we want to quit holding out. We want to quit holding back. We want to quit running away. Lord, we want to go all So tonight, Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you, saying your will, your way, on earth as it is in Nothing compares to life I have in you, nothing of this.